Today we get to dig into the next week of our discipleship series. It's called Follow Me. And what we're doing is spending four weeks kind of uh, getting back to the fundamentals. There, in sports, you often hear people that say that the important thing is to get back to the fundamentals. And if you can do that right, then everything else follows. And that's also true for us in faith, where at times we get into the uh, advanced things of faith, and we forget the fundamentals, and, and we wonder why it doesn't quite feel like it's working for us. It doesn't feel like it's, it's all going the way that Jesus said it was going to go. And so what we're doing for the next month is getting into the essentials of the fundamentals of what does it mean to be a disciple? And, and why do we put an emphasis on this? Why did Jesus begin his ministry by calling disciples and end his ministry by calling them to make disciples? What is that about and what is our role in it? And that's kind of what we're uh, doing. So last week we talked about discipleship being essential. This week we'll talk about discipleship being responsive. Next week there is a cost, so discipleship is costly. And then the final week we'll say that discipleship is missional. And all of this is just going to kind of come out of this one uh, central passage, and we'll, we'll take little trips down the side roads for a bit, but really we're going to start with where Jesus first called disciples. And there's so much to glean from that that we can then reapply it to our lives, or maybe for the first time apply it to our lives and see what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, early in my ministry uh, career, seems like the wrong word, but let's just call it that, um, I was a college pastor and then really quickly became a college-slash-missions pastor of a large church, and we sent hundreds of people all over the world every year on mission trips. In addition to that, we sent lots of uh, folks as like individual missionaries. So we had a lot of short-term teams that went to various different locales. Um, We had folks in Brazil and South Africa, and then we sent them to Thailand and Peru. And and those were all these short-term 10 to 12 people for 10 days. And then we, one or two a year would come forward and say, I think I'm supposed to like live somewhere else. I think God's calling me to to Ghana, God's calling me to Madagascar, God's calling me to Colombia, and we, we would have to get these people and, and find a way to get them where they felt they needed to be. And that was sort of my uh, big part of my job, and, and part of training these people is getting all these folks in a room who have said they want to go do this big thing, and then saying, what are your questions? Because the question was always like, well, what if we're not ready? And I'd be like, well, tell me more about that. And they said, well, um, it's, we felt like it was pretty clear, we're not ready, like we don't know what to do. And the challenge was to explain to people who were about to go 10,000 miles to go share their faith or do uh, great service or all these various things, to explain to them that there was no way for them to get ready in a classroom in a church in Texas for going into a maximum security prison in a city of 10 million in Africa. There just wasn't, I couldn't simulate that form. I couldn't give them a textbook for that. There was no way to do it. And so what I ended up learning was I had to tell people that they would always be not ready until they were ready, which means they just had to go and do it. And so we had to prepare to be unprepared, and flexibility was our greatest strategy. And we kind of went through that, and and we began to gain a culture where people were kind of more comfortable being unprepared. And that sounds negligent in our kind of hyper-controlling Western culture where we're like, well, we should know everything we're going to do. What's the agenda? And I'd be like, I'm not going to give it to you because it'll change the second we land. Just be prepared to be unprepared and let God do the work. And this is interesting because that isn't just what happens to people who are going on a mission trip. That's what all of us feel on some level at so many different parts of our lives. That none of us, when we uh, said, I do, at our wedding, none of us were actually ready for what that meant. That I do is like, I'm, I'm, I think I know what I'm doing, but I don't actually know. I don't know what that's going to look like for 50 years, but, but I'm going to try. Is anybody ready in that moment to be what they've been called to be as a husband, a wife? When your child is born and the doctor hands it to you and, and you're holding this, you're not ready to be a parent. You, you become ready throughout life. 
When you started your career, odds are you weren't ready for the thing you were hired to do. You had to be trained and you had to be grown into that thing. When you retire, I've even heard people say, I wasn't ready for this. I don't, I didn't know. No one, there wasn't a book I could read that would explain what it actually is like. And I have to sort of learn to become this retired person. No one is ready on day one of anything. And so that's okay. And we're going to start there because discipleship is about responsiveness and not readiness. So we're going to go to the scripture in Mark chapter one, the same passage we read last week. Scripture says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, meaning Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with uh, with the hired servants and they followed him. Like I said, same thing we read last week. Jesus is beginning his ministry. He begins to call disciples to follow him. He invites that they would drop their nets and join his way. And this is really hard. In their culture, it's similarly hard in our culture. Because discipleship is, at the end of the day, an invitation to immediacy. It's an invitation of immediacy where where we're not being invited into maybe later or if you study or when you're ready. We're being invited to respond immediately. And so when we read that the disciples just dropped their nets, we, we kind of create constructs in our mind that help us justify that decision, why we would probably not be quite as clear on that, but they obviously, it was easier for them. Because, you know, who wants to be a fisherman? They probably didn't even like their jobs. So when he offered them something else, it was easy to walk away from that. Or maybe Jesus was like glowing and, and compelling, and, and it was almost impossible to say no to Jesus because he's Jesus. So when he says, follow me, you just kind of have to say yes. And yet you scroll through uh, the rest of the pages of your New Testament and you see that so many people rejected Jesus. And he would say, follow me. And they'd go, well, maybe not. So it wasn't that they could, couldn't say no. It wasn't any of that. It says that they immediately left their nets. So what does that mean for us? You each have a net in your chair, whether you knew it or not, and you're sitting on it now. I would actually like for you to pull out your net. I have mine here. You have a little square rectangle or a, I don't know polyhedron? Is that a thing? Dodecahedron? You have a, you have a piece of net. So if you would hold your net and just take a peek at your net. We all have nets like the disciples had uh, nets before they chose to follow him. And I would argue that each and every one of us are kind of caught in our own nets, that each of us have opportunities to respond. Each of us have these moments of immediacy where we can choose to drop our nets or maybe we just go through the reasons we don't quite feel ready for that. The disciples had that opportunity to, to say, you know what, I'm not quite ready. And, and for them, their nets represented something real. And the net you're holding may be a metaphor, but their nets represented big, important life things, financial security. This was their future. This was their inheritance. They, their family, they were fishermen. And so they were taking on the, the role of their father. And so as their father aged out, they would age up and it would become their business and their security and their finances to feed their family. What would it look like for you to let go of financial security? Not just next week's bills, but next decade's living expenses and the 401k. To just let it all, just drop it. To follow somebody who walked up a couple minutes ago and said, hey, you want to come with me? It was their identity. In that world, as much as ours, what you did was who you were, for better or worse. This was the family business. Why was Jesus a, a carpenter 
as we think about his first 30 years. Why do we assume that? Because culturally, he would have been a carpenter because his dad, Joseph, was a carpenter. And you take on the family business. You train them up. And so these were fishermen because their dad were fishermen and they were going to be fishermen. And probably for generations, they'd been fishermen. And that was their identity in the community. When you saw them, you went fishermen. And so to drop your net in that sense is to say, I guess I'm going to give up our very identity. It's, it's the same thing that you and I run into when we meet somebody new and we, I consciously try to avoid the question. I never can quite do it where you say, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? Oh gosh, uh, what do you do? Gosh, yeah. I try to avoid it, but I can't avoid it. There's no other questions I can ask that gives me greater context into who somebody is than what do you do? And that's a real challenge. I met somebody brand new this week. We were out uh, camping and, and I met somebody I hadn't met before. Everybody told me about this person, but got to meet him for the first time and I was, kind of was asking a couple of those questions. Well, where are you actually from? Tells me that. And I, I kind of found myself in this very trap and I went, look, I hate to do this, but it would really help me to know what you do. What do you do? It, oh, well, I do this. And he almost said it as if like, that's not who I am, but it is what I do. And I said, actually, I hate to admit it, but that gives me some context about who you are. A little rounds out the picture of a little about who you are, but I know it's not who you are, but it kind of tells me who you are. And okay. And it was the same guy later in the trip that multiple people were talking and he was kind of dreaming out loud as, as men do on camping trips. I don't know. And, and he said, I don't really love what I do now that you mention it. I don't know if I like what I do. And there's actually something I'd much rather be doing, but it represents a huge risk because what I do pays well and it's secure and I'm a manager and I kind of have a, a, a trajectory that, that makes sense in the world. And what I want to do is sort of this risky other thing that doesn't make a lot of sense to people and I could really fail at it. And so what he was kind of working through is the same thing the disciples, early disciples were working through is what does it mean to drop the nets of identity and drop the nets of security and take on something that might actually fail? To, to walk after something that might not be as obvious as the thing you were already in. To walk away from anything is to walk into a void. Because even to say, I'm going to follow Jesus for these fishermen, there's no clarity as to what that means. They're leaving the known for the unknown. And when you look through people's greatest fears, there's all the, the kind of concrete things about death and public speaking and all those snakes. Um, but what, what you end up with, at the end of the day, people fear the unknown. It's people's greatest fear. It's worse to be waiting for the diagnosis than to get the diagnosis more often because at least you know what you're fighting. But the waiting is it's just crushing. And the unknown is this thing that just steals so much of our joy. And it's the great fear that we have that stops us from being willing to drop our nets of what we already know. Because we're afraid of the unknown. To follow a rabbi was to abandon identity in many ways. It was an invitation not to go and go to the Jesus college. It was to live with him and walk with him and eat with him and pray with him. You traveled with him for years at a time. See your family rarely. You become like the rabbi. It's an invitation to take on his identity because the whole point of following a rabbi was to become more like the rabbi. To drop your nets was an invitation to be remade. To say yes to dropping your nets was a willing yes to being remade, practically and spiritually. Anne Spangler and Lo uh, Lois Verberg use a story in a book they wrote about following Jesus, kind of the Jewish rabbi. They use the story of a Japanese potter's assistant. He brought on as an apprentice. And this Japanese potter was kind of like the legendary potter. 
incredible potter. Everybody would have given their right arm to be able to study under this potter. And the apprentice comes in excited in the same way that if you thought of your hero in any industry or sport, that if I could just, if I could just sit at their seat and do what they do, just even pretend for a moment. And they thought, I just want to sit at this potter's wheel and just sort of feel what it's like to sit at their wheel. It's just the magic in that. And over six months of an, of an apprenticeship, she would say, I never actually got to do that. She never invited me to sit at the wheel and work with clay. Actually, she had me do everything else but work with clay. That the thing I came to learn to do from her, to learn how to become a potter like her, she never invited me to do it. Instead, had me out digging up my own clay and forming it. Had me checking the purity of the water to see how that interacts with various things. Had me cleaning. It had me, I mean, it's Karate Kid. It's paint the fence and wax on, wax off. And what does this have to do with fighting? the end of the apprenticeship with disappointment and deflation and resentment, the question was really, why didn't I get to do the thing I came here to do? To which the potter says, people grow into a big tree with many branches. In order to become the new thing that you're aiming to be, we first have to trim off all of the old growth. So it's painful to follow the expert. It's painful to take the way of the, the legend. It's painful because you have to unlearn so much. You have to be stripped of so much. You have to get all those branches pruned off in order to make way for new growth. It's a letting go and a pruning. And that's before we can even see what we've been invited into. And yet the apprentice would say when she returned to her own wheel and she got her hands in her own clay, something was fundamentally different that she had learned something profound in the menial and in the, in the bits and the pieces and in the things she never would have imagined. That invitation to just come and be in the presence was everything. See, becoming a disciple isn't about studying. We live in a post-enlightenment culture. We live in a very linear, educational, formal, process-oriented culture where there's a certain number of things we do. If you want to have a certain job, you have to study the certain level of things in a linear fashion to get the right degree so that you can be qualified to do the job. Disciples carried no textbooks. They took no exams. So becoming a disciple is just that. It's a process of becoming, which is confusing for us in our world of achieving when we're about checking certain boxes and learning formulas and facts, and only then are we ready to do the thing. Only, only when we graduate would I be ready to do the thing I'm supposed to do. That's not how discipleship works. It's a process of becoming. When you follow, it's a process of becoming. Becoming more like the rabbi. So dropping the nets is not only walking away from being creators of our own security, but for many of us in this room, it's an invitation to walk away from a religious movement that we control. You have to drop your security. You have to drop your identity. You have to drop your control. You have to drop your achievement. You have to drop your past. You have to drop your excuses. I'm not ready. We're never ready. You weren't ready to be a parent until you were. You weren't ready to be a spouse until you were. You weren't ready for your career until you were. You weren't ready. You just were. And you're in the process of becoming and 
And the beautiful thing about being in a, a body like this that has multiple generations of, of people is, is you can look at somebody who's been doing it longer and go, hey, is this the way it goes? And they go, yeah, but you're still, you're becoming. Hey, is marriage, does it really go like this? Yeah, but you never perfect it. You're always learning and you're always changing and you're always growing, which, which for the Western mind is like, I don't want to do that. I just want it fixed. But we're all in the process of becoming all over the place. We're not the only people to protest either. We're, we're the first in our, you know, oh, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. Hey, do you want to start? No, I'm not ready. Do you want to maybe? No, I'm not ready. But this is nothing new. In Luke 9, we see Jesus going along the road with people traveling with him and, and they say they're not ready. It says, as they were going along, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And we'll talk more about what that means next week. So I think that's going to be really important. To another, he said, follow me. But, but that one said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Tim Keller says that this, uh, this first respondent, Jesus has gotten some bad PR in the zone. He says, let me first go back and bury my father. To which uh, we would think, well, his father obviously has just died and the guy's trying to take care of something important. And Jesus, being unfeeling and, and uncaring, says, forget about them and come with me. Which would be a really cool radical thing, except uh, Jewish law would tell us that's probably not a, what was happening at all. And Tim Keller says that the bad PR comes because we don't understand Jewish law. That means that if his father were gravely ill, that he was by law required to be with his father, not traveling with this rabbi. If, if his father had just died, he was by law required to be tending to his estate and tending to the, the, uh, the scenario that was there and not with Jesus. So he probably wasn't going to be with Jesus if anything was wrong with his father. And so you look at the tensing and the verbs and you do all that stuff and, and what you start to see is, is, is more likely... That what he was saying is, I have a responsibility still. That in that culture, as we've already said, that, that son and father was a, a really important link there. And so his job was to wait until his responsibility to his father had expired. And then once that expired, then he was free to do what he wanted with his life. But until then, he was sort of uh, obligated. So he wasn't saying my dad just died. Or he wasn't just saying my, my dad's about to die. He's saying until my dad dies, I'm kind of obligated to him. So I can't follow you. Is that Okay. To which Jesus says, no, it's not. It's another form of I'm not ready. It's a good excuse. It's a contextually valid excuse, but it's still I'm not ready. It's another form of holding tight to nets. He's holding the nets of his identity. I, I'm my father's son. He's holding the nets of family. I'm obligated to do a thing. And he's unwilling to let go of those things to follow Jesus. And next, he said he, the next one said he'd follow if he could just get home and make arrangements. I just need to go home and say farewell. I just got to tie up my loose ends. Jesus is clear to him too. You don't get to follow with qualifications. You don't get to link up with me and still have control. You don't get to get in the car and steal the wheel. It doesn't work like that. That if you're going to follow me, it requires that you leave all this other stuff behind. You can't put me on your schedule. I become your schedule. So the man wants to go clean up loose ends, which is another form of saying, 
I'm not ready. Jesus, I'm not ready. He's holding onto the nets of control and identity. He's holding onto the nets of remaining his own God, that he's still in control of his own day. He's still in control of his own path. And Jesus says, follow me. And he goes, ah, I'm not ready. Not ready to let go of career or inheritance. Not ready to let go of identity or family role. Jesus is clear that discipleship does not require readiness, but responsiveness. If we hear nothing else today, discipleship does not require readiness, but responsiveness. And we have flipped that. That until we're ready, we don't respond. And Jesus says, I'm not here for your readiness. I'm here for your responsiveness. I'll get you ready. We have baptisms next week, as you heard Nick talk about. We're going to put a big trough right here and fill it with water. I'll try to heat it above 40 degrees or so. And we already have four or five people signed up to get in the water to be baptized. What I've come to realize is that the bravest people in our church are about this tall. Because the people that put their name on the list to be baptized are children first. Almost always are. That the bravest people in our church are about three or four feet tall. You know why? Because they haven't lived long enough to develop all of the branches that you and I have. They haven't lived long enough to develop alter identities or hang-ups or insecurities, that when, when they're told that if they want to follow Jesus and they want to give their life to following his way and invited to make that public in baptism, they go, yeah, why wouldn't I do that? And you tell an adult the same thing and they go, well, I would, but I got some friends that go to that church and I don't know, it'd be kind of weird and I've had people tell me that I don't want to get in the water, it's awkward and my hair will look bad after. What will people think? try to say people are going to stand and clap and cheer. That life transformation on display is an incredible thing, and yet the first people to volunteer are always those with the fewest branches that need to be pruned. Because the kids don't know that they're supposed to be ready for it. They just respond. That's called faith. Jesus said it, faith like a child. And the adults in the room go, ah, I don't know if I'm ready. I got to clean up this sin issue. Or I got to work out this other relational thing. Or I got I to fix up my house. Let me go back and check on my family. Let me say farewell before I do that baptism. Because that kind of pins me in a little bit. Jesus isn't here for your readiness. He's here for your responsiveness. And next week, we're going to put people in the water and they're going to proclaim that Jesus is their Savior that they're going to follow him with their lives. And people in the room are sometimes quick to write off the little ones because they go, oh, isn't that sweet? Someone talked them into it. And I would caution you against that. That the opposite is true. That it's the little ones who've had it figured out. And it's the rest of us that need to be pruned and clipped and trimmed so that we can get rid of all the stuff we think we built for ourselves so we might be pure enough to have new growth again. There are dozens of people in this room who were sprinkled as a baby and never proclaimed their faith publicly that never been baptized but kind of don't want to do it to think it's awkward. I've been following Jesus 10 years. I never did that. It's probably not a big deal. It's not, it's not going to get you saved. It's not changing your eternity. But it's obedience and it's responsiveness and it's getting in to do exactly what Jesus did. It's getting in to do, repent and be baptized, believe and be baptized throughout the New Testament. It's the way people that say, I will follow. It's a commitment. But it's a responsiveness that's required, not a readiness. 
God will let me fix a few more things and clean up a little bit more. Jesus' call to discipleship is not an attempt to team up with a bunch of saints, but an invitation to rehabilitate all the sinners of the world. It's about transformation and taking sinners and making them saints, not finding the saints that have already made themselves and then pulling them onto a team. It's not a backyard pick of a kickball game where he's just figuring out who's the best. You've probably heard it said, Jesus doesn't call the qualified, but qualifies the called. He is our qualification. I landed in South Africa as a missionary. I had no business being there. I had no qualification, no preparation. I wasn't ready. It didn't matter. God did radical things. God did amazing things. God transformed me while he used me to help transform others, not because I had any skill or qualifications. He qualified me as we went. challenge for us is we refuse to drop the nets of doubt or shame. We refuse to walk away from what we've known and embrace the unknown that is life with him. Jesus came to earth into the great unknown to take on the cross for us, and he invites us to lay our lives down, to drop our nets and to follow him. Drop our religion and our rules and self-righteousness. Drop the fandom that says Jesus is a pretty good teacher. Drop our pretense where we wear a mask so that others might think we're pretty good at stuff. Drop our identities that we built for ourselves. Drop the hurts and delays that have kept us from following. Drop our sins and our shame and our guilt and our pain. Drop anything that is holding you back from Jesus. In essence, last week we said discipleship is essential, that Jesus plus nothing is everything. That's all that there is to this faith that we have, that it is Jesus that is the reward. Jesus is the gift. Jesus is what we're after. Jesus plus nothing is everything. And Jesus plus anything usually isn't much of anything at all. You start adding rules and regulations. You start layering things onto the person of Christ and we start getting into religion. But Jesus plus nothing is everything. And what Jesus says is, would you be willing to drop anything in order to get everything? And so many of us are looking at the crumbs in our hands and we're unwilling to go to the banquet table of Christ because we can't imagine letting go of what we have. The challenge today is that you would drop anything that you might grasp everything. That the little net in your chair represents something much bigger in your life. For some in the room, it represents a first step of faith. The understanding that you don't have to be ready, you just have to be willing to let go of the fear and the doubt, to let go of the need to clean up a little bit more, get a few more things right. It's a willingness to drop our nets and say, okay, I'll follow. Let's see where this goes. For some in the room, it represents years of built up branches, religion, shame, the things that keep us from following Jesus in every part of our life, and we can do it on Sunday, but man, Monday's harder. I can do it in this area, but not in that one. And the net is our opportunity to lay that down and drop that thing and go, you know what? I can leave that control. I can leave that security. I can take on the insecurity of being secure only in you. The challenge today is to drop whatever is holding you back from Jesus. And so the net that we're invited to drop 
is also the net that ensnares us. The net we're invited to drop, should we refuse to drop it, is the same one that will keep us bound. And we yearn for freedom and we ache for a joy and we long to live real life and yet we're bound by the nets we carry that we're unwilling to drop. I would, but I might if only. Jesus says, follow me. You can drop it today. We do communion here in just a moment. Greg will be up and he'll sing a song or two or three and our invitation is always that we would come forward and we take the bread that represents the body of Christ and we dip it in the cup that represents his blood. We remember that Jesus gave his life for us. He dropped everything to redeem us, to claim us, to make us whole. We remember the challenge today is with your net that maybe today you might bring your net to the table and in order to receive the gift of Christ, in order to remember what he's done for you, we have to lay down the thing that's holding us back from following him fully. So at the end of the day, instead of having just a table with some crumbs and grape juice spills on it, we're going to have a table full of nets. A table full of lives and hearts that have been unbound from the things we've been unwilling to let go of. It's just a little chunk of a net I cut out of a big net from Amazon. It's not special. It's not sacred. It's not holy. But the thing that it represents in your life is the decision that you make today is your willingness to drop the nets that ensnare you today and to fully follow Jesus is a world-changing, eternity-changing move. And you don't have to be ready. Just willing. Being a disciple doesn't mean you have to be ready. Only ready to respond. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you would dip into our world and you would dip into our mess, that you would offer us a path. God, I know that I am grateful that you don't require my readiness. Lord, at every inch of my being, every step of my path, I would confess and be honest before this body that I've never been ready. That a Sunday morning is a day that I'm not ready, but you are. That following you in finances, I'm not ready for that, but you are. That, Lord, what you've asked us into, what you've called me into, is to simply be people that would respond to you and your call. Lord, qualify us today as we drop our nets and we make ourselves vulnerable and we willingly give up the things that hold us back from you, the things that keep us from fully embracing the life that you offer us. Father, embrace us. Show us that your way is a good way, that the things we leave behind are nothing compared to that life that you have on offer for us. Father, I pray that each and every heart here would be primed, not for readiness, but responsiveness. And Lord, today we might leave changed in little ways and big ways. God, thank you for this life, for this purpose, and for this invitation to follow you. Pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.